overwhelming to think about the freshness and the vitality and the, the, the wonder of God's love as he lavishes it on us again and again and again. Um, is it possible to have the slides up? Is that okay? Thank you. I just wonder if you've ever gone somewhere very familiar, um, but you've seen it differently. You've noticed something that you've not seen before. Maybe you've gone walking along a street and you've gone there with somebody and something's, something's happened and made you look up and you suddenly see a view that you've not noticed before, a perspective that changes, an angle that's different. And you ever had that? Uh, maybe you've gone with a friend and they've commented on something that you've seen when you're out and about and you've thought, oh yeah, I've never noticed that before. Uh, for me, it happens occasionally if, you're, if I'm a passenger in a car on a journey where I've normally been the driver on a car. Uh, you're going the same route, sometimes in the same car, uh, sometimes you're wearing the same clothes that you wore last time you were on that journey, but you notice something different because you've got a different perspective. It, it, I don't think it's just the sort of whatever that distance is between the two chairs. Uh, maybe it's that as you're closer to the edge. Sometimes it can feel like that, can't it, when you're driving along? You think, oh, I'm a bit, bit closer to the edge more than I normally am, perhaps. But um, I think it's that actually you've got time to look around and notice stuff. When you're driving, you're noticing the cars in front and the movement on the road and what's going on behind you and to the sides and all the rest of it. Um, but when you're a passenger, you've got time to appreciate the uh, different perspective. And, and, and I think what's going to happen today as we look at this passage, or a passage, I haven't told you which one yet, um, that we're looking at, and these, these gifts that we're looking at today and this series of spiritual gifts, we'll see things with a slightly different perspective, not because of the brilliance or otherwise of what I'm sharing, but because of God's word, and quite simply, it's coming from a different perspective when we're looking at spiritual gifts. It's taking a different view, a different perspective, and it's taking a different angle. We've seen so far that the spiritual gifts, uh, the gifts we've been looking at, are as a list that we've been using up on the screen each week um, for some weeks. Uh, we, and we've been working through them, not in, in sort of order that they are on the screen, but in blocks order based on sometimes where they appear in the Bible, but some, most often the type of gifts that they are and how they connect together. And so we've been working through those. And we've seen week after week, as, as I've spoken, as others have too, that God uh, gives gifts to the church, to people in the church, uh, to build up the church. That's been a consistent theme, that God's generously giving so that people can be built up. We've seen that these are relevant to today, that without these at work in the church, without these at work in our lives, we lack, uh, we lack spiritual power, we lack uh, authority, we lack uh, the ability to do the things God wants us to do, and uh, we lack because we're not built up in the way that God wants. We've seen how important they are week after week, but today I think we're going to see something the same and slightly different. We're looking at these gifts on the right-hand side of your screen today. Um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And today, I think we're going to see something that's very much the same and completely different from the ones we've seen so far. I hope that by the end of today, uh, we'll all see something of how ministry life in church works and where we fit inside that. And uh, we'll be encouraged and challenged and blessed as we do. I'm calling these gifts the equipping gifts. The equipping gifts. If you're taking notes, that's the, the, the one that we're, we're looking at today, the equipping gifts. And, and these occur in a particular Bible passage, which I'd love to read. And it's Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, the verse on the screen picks up from verse 10, but I want to go back a little bit in, in my reading and read from verse uh, 1 
of Ephesians 4. It's too many verses to click through, so when I get to verse 10, I'm going to try and remember to, to, that it picks up on the screen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We're on the screen now. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, now the reading on the screen finishes there, but I want to carry on a couple of verses. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Father, I pray that as we look at your word today, uh, this would not just be uh, opening a passage of scripture and looking inside, but that there would be something for each of us to be encouraged by and, and blessed by some Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would see more of you, Lord Jesus, in our lives and in your church, and as a result, in the wider community, as we trust you to speak to us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at these gifts, and one of the key verses is on the right-hand side, Ephesians 4.11. People talk about these as being the 4.11 gifts. Uh, you may have come across that saying. And they're, they're spoken of quite a lot in different contexts um, in the church around the world these days. Um, of, and I think that's a really good thing because I think they've often been neglected. And it's great that we're talking about these and that people are engaging with this whole concept that God has given gifts in this way. And uh, it's wonderful to hear. And it's really important that we do know this uh, today as well. This is the key verse. And, and just in that verse, as it starts off, we read, so Christ himself gave. And immediately, if you've, if you've been around a, a few weeks beforehand, you'll, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, that looks a bit different to what we've seen so far. Because we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and week after week, we've seen that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given into the life of the church, and that they're spiritual gifts that God gives abilities which we can't otherwise do. So we've been talking about um, tongues, interpretation, and healing, and miracles, and 
prophetic prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. We've talked also about gifts of serving and encouraging and leading different things that sometimes look natural, uh, but actually are supernatural gifts of God, gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us that we can serve and bless and build others up. I've said repeatedly in that little block that they're gifts of the Holy Spirit given to empower us. And now we read that it's Christ himself who gave these gifts. There's a difference in, within the spiritual gifts, within this kind of broad category of spiritual gifts. And the ones we're looking at today have been given by Christ himself. This is the risen and ascended Christ. Now when he was leading us in communion, uh, spoke about Jesus' appearance after his resurrection and, and before his ascension. And when Jesus ascends, he, sends, he says, I need to go and I need to go to my Father to send the Spirit, because unless you have the Spirit, then, then, then I can't be with you. I'm going to remain with you, by, and I'll do that by sending my Spirit. And so he does. And uh, the, the Holy Spirit gives gifts, but these are gifts that Jesus himself gives uh, when he ascends to be with his Father. Secondly, we notice that they are gifts of people, not gifts to people. And that's a bit different. Uh, so up until now, we've spoken about gifts given to individuals uh, that uh, individuals have received and they've gone, thank you, Lord, that's great. I can now serve you with the gifting you've given me here. It says Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. It doesn't say that he gave the gift of apostling to some people who then became apostles. He gave those people. And so it's a different, just a different structure, a different emphasis, a different focus here. And so we've got the fact that these are gifts given by Jesus, the risen Jesus, to the church and they're gifts of people uh, rather than gifts to people in the same way. What I'd like to do, um, I think God's given me a, a, just a word to, to share towards the end of this particularly, but to get to that, I want to just run through quickly what these all are in case you've not come across them before, because I, I want to say at the end that we want to see these at work today. We want to see God at work. We want to see more of these spiritual gifts at work. We want to see uh, God raising people up uh, uh, who fulfill these, this, this kind of sense that God has placed them within the church, and hopefully we'll see why by the end. Apostle literally means sent one, messenger, one who's sent out. And uh, it's used of Jesus um, Jesus is described as an apostle. He's described as the sent one. The beginning part of John's gospel talks about the fact that he was sent uh, by, by f his father. And um, we read elsewhere that Jesus is God's messenger or God's apostle. That's Hebrews 3 verse 1. And we read, so we read about Jesus. He's first and foremost the one who fulfills that apostleship. But actually, I'll let you into secret, he fulfills all of them. You know, we said that if we want to see how to use spiritual gifts, we look at Jesus. Well, in this case, when we're looking at these uh, equipping gifts, if we want to see the perfect embodiment of them, we look at Jesus, not at anybody else. And Jesus is the great apostle. He's the one that was sent from the Father to come and uh, to, to give his life for us, but also to do so much more. Sent carrying a message, but it's not the message yet that we're going to get to. That's in the prophet bit. He's sent to win people towards God, to turn their hearts towards God. That's the evangelist bit. He's sent to care for those and direct those and, and shepherd those that God's given him. That's the pastor bit. He's sent to teach. That's the teacher bit. But firstly, he has to be sent. And he's a sent one, which is why he's an apostle. Um, the 12 people chosen by Jesus, we 
talk about them as disciples, we also talk about them as apostles. That's because they're also sent ones, sent out, commissioned. There are others too who uh, became, either became believers after Jesus had died or were, rec- were recognized as apostles after Jesus had died. And, and, and risen and ascended. And those people include Paul and Barnabas. Uh, James is another one. Uh, he's referred to in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, we've possibly got a couple of others. Epaphroditus is mentioned. And uh, there's, there's some debate around whether Epaphroditus was an apostle or if he was just sent on a mission. Because the word for being sent is the same as the word for apostle. Uh, there's two more that seem to appear at the end of Romans 16, verse se- uh, Romans 16. Paul's got a whole long list of people that he thanks and asks for acknowledgement to. And we've got Adronicus and Junia, who Paul writes are outstanding among the apostles. So we don't know if they're a husband and wife team or just two people um, who are named in connection with each other. But two more there. So there's a list of people that are recognized as apostles who weren't with Jesus, they weren't the 12, and they're not Jesus himself, but they, their gifting is recognized within the church, within the book of Acts, uh, and in the book of Romans and elsewhere too. There's also a sense in which all of us are apostles, in, in, with a little a, we're all sent out, aren't we? We're commissioned to go and uh, to, to preach the gospel, to, to share good news, and to to teach and to make disciples. And Jesus does that in Matthew 28, verse 20. He sends out not just the disciples, but all of us. Well, what, do these, what do these people do when we read through the biblical text? Well, they preach with signs and wonders following. So do the evangelists. Uh, the apostles uh, plant churches. They break new ground. They get new, new works for God established. Paul does that again and again. Um, they lay foundations for churches. So sometimes they, even if they haven't started the church, they go in and they establish a foundation in a new fledgling congregation and get it firmly set uh, before moving on again. They have authority over churches once they've been started and planted. They train others. And most commonly, we see them operating in multiple areas. So I've said about Jesus that he fulfills all of these, but actually you look at someone like Paul, uh, and Paul uh, fulfills several of these different categories as well within his ministry because often these, the apostles are the ones pioneering and going in. They've got little else to work with. They're needing to, uh, to teach, they're needing to pastor, they're needing to evangelize, they're needing to hear from God, and they're needing to establish something. So it's, it's not a quite a, a kind of all-in-one gift, but um, they often need to lean on those other strengths. Somebody wrote this, apostles always have a fresh word because they're always encountering Christ in new ways. Apostles travel and they take the gospel where it has never been. And when they do, they find that Christ meets them there. Apostles are vitally important today in the church today just as they were then. We need the, the work of those who are called to go out, break new ground and uh, launch new things for God. Prophet. Now, this is the one I think we come to and think we know the most about, but I think it can be the most confusing. And it's the most confusing because the Bible's full of people who are described as prophets. Jesus is a prophet. Other people attest to him being that, and he spoke the word of God with power and authority. Uh, People listened to him not like the other teachers, but because he spoke the word of God with authority. It was a now word for the people there. And that's what prophets do. They bring the word of God powerfully into an individual person's life or into a corporate setting. 
Now we read the Old Testament and we're quite familiar with looking through and uh, reading stories about prophets. Some of you will have these as your favorite stories. You'll, you'll remember the stories about Elijah and Elisha, and maybe you've read them often enough you don't get the two mixed up. I still get them mixed up sometimes. And I'm remembering a story, and I can't remember if it happened to Elijah or if it happened to Elisha. Or, or, or you'll, you, know, you know the one about Elijah when two, some youngsters come out and tease him for being bald, uh, and he calls down curses on them, and bears come and get them. You know, those stories are great fun, aren't they? Unless you're one of the young people involved. Perhaps less fun then. Now, all the time when miracles are happening and um, people are being raised from the dead and those great confrontations that there are in the Old Testament where you've got a prophet of God standing up and speaking, sometimes to a king, often to, to governors and people in authority, sometimes to a whole nation and saying, this is what the word of God says. You're all in trouble. That's often what the Old Testament prophets are saying. Uh, but actually, there's a revelation of God's love that's behind that. And God loves his people so much that when they go off course, he goes to them and says, you're in trouble. Come back. And that's the message of the Old Testament prophecies. I think we've just summarized uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on through all the prophetic books where God loves his people. And he says, come back. I've got some stuff to do. And you've gone astray. And that's the, the core message. And the Old Testament prophets are ones that kings tremble in front of. And if they don't, they should. We come to the New Testament and the picture changes completely. John the Baptist is, if you like, the last in the line of those Old Testament prophets. And we get to the New Testament and Jesus and it all shifts. In Joel 2, it's prophesied that we would, that the Holy Spirit would come and that all people would prophesy. The prophetic would be uh, something that is commonplace. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church and Peter stands up and preaches and talks about how that prophecy is being fulfilled in this day and how now we've got a prophetic people. This means not just one or two people, like in John the Baptist's case, wearing clothes of camel hair and eating locusts in the desert with his leather belt around his waist. I've kept the leather belt, but that's as far as I'm going. Um, because he's a quite an unusual character and, and actually now all of us are prophetic. There's a sense in which we bear the presence of God and we speak God's word and we live out the truths of God because we're hearing God for ourselves. And we saw just a few weeks ago and James spoke about this on hearing from God and delivering the prophetic that actually there are, there's a spiritual gift of prophecy. And so we look and we say, well, the Old Testament prophets were like that. Jesus is different. Um, the New Testament looks very different for prophecy. And we've got these gifts of prophecy as well given out. What on earth are these prophets? Where do they fit? Because they're not the Old Testament prophets. We're, we're not living in a theocratic nation where we have a God-given pattern of government that's been set out for us in the, in the book. We've got a democracy we vote on things and look where that gets us gets us in all sorts of confusion but that's what we've got and we've got people we elect to positions of authority we don't have a a book that we can go to that says this is how your leaders should should govern we, we do in terms of character but we don't in terms of what laws they should pass and how they should do it and the rest of it that's kind of set within a separate system and that causes us a wrestle because we, we want God to be leading our nation, but actually we're living in a nation which has different values and different perspective and isn't a, a nation under God in the same way as 
Perhaps it once was, but also the nation of Israel was. And prophets today, when you see them in the church, they're not speaking to the queen. They're not speaking to parliament in the same way and calling the nation to repent. That's, it's not quite the same focus in the, the New Testament. When prophets are raised up in the New Testament, um, they, we see with Agabus, he predicts things and he, he encourages, where we see with Judas and Silas and others that are bringing prophetic words, they're, they're speaking the now word of God to that congregation. They're speaking the now word of God to the prophetic people who then live it out within the congregation, within the wider world. I'm not saying that prophets can't speak to the government. Of course they can. I'm not saying that prophets can't speak to the kings and queens. Of course they can, if God tells them to. They can do whatever God wants them to. But that's not quite the same pattern that we have in the Old Testament today. Prophets today bring a compelling word of God for now. They encourage and strengthen in line with Scripture. They sometimes predict the future. Sometimes they preach, and that takes on different forms. Prophetic revelation takes on different forms. Why shouldn't it? God is more varied and more wonderful and more amazingly complex than we can ever imagine. And prophets too lay a foundation for the church. Evangelists, let me skip on through these. Um, evangelist is a, is a lovely word. We, um, some people love the thought of evangelism and some people run in the opposite direction. Now we get the word because um, the word for gospel in Greek is a word euangelion. Uh, and if, if you imagine the, the V instead being a U, um, that's basically how it's been transliterated across. The word evangelist is, is connected with the gospel, the evangelion or the euangelion, the, the God's word going out to people. It's the good news. The gospel is good news. Uh, and if evangelism for us has become a dirty word, it's become something we need to do and we don't feel good about and we feel guilty about and we feel that we've got to convince people of something that they don't really want and we're not sure it's, it's up to much anyway, then we've lost the point of evangelism. Evangelism is sharing good news with people. It's good news, folks. It's the best news there is. And, and that's what an evangelist does. They go and share good news. Jesus did that. He came to bring the good news. All of us are called to evangelize, though, aren't we? We read about specific people, though. Philip was an evangelist in the book of Acts chapter 8, and he got up to all sorts of exciting adventures, um, and uh, amazing things happen. If you want a fun story that's encouraging, read Acts chapter 8. Uh, Timothy, later on, wasn't an evangelist. And he was one of the church leaders sent by Paul, and Paul writes to him and says, do the work of an evangelist. So he's not an evangelist, but he's saying there's some stuff that needs to happen. What is it that evangelists do? Well, like the apostles, they preach the gospel with signs following. They preach the message of Jesus. They help people turn to Jesus. And they help people towards baptism and growth. There's more that than that than they do, um, as with all the gifts, but I want to rush on. Pastor literally means shepherd, um, someone who looks after the sheep. It's that word there. And we, the greatest example, of course, is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Um, this is that word pastor that's used. is the only reference to that word uh, in that kind of form in the whole of the New Testament. We read that Jesus is the good shepherd. We read that others are told to do the work of shepherding. But nowhere else, there's no example given of someone who's got that 
as a title. So Philip has it as a title. We're told that Agabus is a prophet. Philip has the evangelist as a title, sorry, just to be clear. We're told that Agabus is a prophet. Paul and others are apostles. Others are described as teachers, apostles, but no one is listed and said this person is a pastor. So lots of debate happens about who these people are and what it was and are they connected with eldership? Are they the same as eldership? Is it different? All sorts of theories. But the point is that God's given people to pastor and to care for and to shepherd and to direct. And the people who are given in this capacity shepherd the people of the church. They protect the people of the church. They provide good food for the people of the church just like shepherds do for the sheep. Like all On this list, they should be setting a godly example for people in the church and they should supervise. If they're in a leadership role, an eldership role, um, they should supervise the church as a whole as overseers. Teacher, one who teaches. That's what it means. That's profound, isn't it? Um, Jesus taught he's the best teacher you can ever have. Um, The apostles taught, church leaders teach, Apollos teaches. He's a great example of an early early church teacher, Acts chapter 18. We read about him. And um, he's a Jewish man who's eloquent and he knows the scriptures well. And he's he's been taught the way of Jesus. And uh, he's schooled by Priscilla and Aquila who heard him teach, but they take him aside and say, well, actually, you got some bits wrong. Let me help you here. And they both help him. And uh, then he goes off and he teaches some more. And he's a great encouragement, a great challenge to those who want to bring false teaching and a great encouragement because he's got the gift of teaching. Okay, let me just, I wanna, I've got so much in my notes I wanted, to, uh, we could cover because so much of this has been talked about elsewhere. But actually, I want to try and focus in on what God's saying today. The big question is, who are these people today? Are they specific people? And some, some would argue that these people are specific individuals, few individuals given to the global church. That God has given some, a few people to be uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That they're the gifts of Christ after all. Uh, they're not given to all um, they, it seems to fit within the context of scripture that they've got a particular role here and so that's the argument that some use other people take a very contrary view and this is perhaps a more recent view uh, and in the light of verse 7 in this passage which talks about the grace of God being given to all they, they divide it up a bit like a trivial pursuit quiche um, you know trivial pursuit when you get the little well it, in my case you don't get the little triangles um, but you try desperately to fill up your little thing with all the little triangles when you're playing the game of Trivial Pursuit and there's always you know you're doing really well up until you get to the triangle question then you can't get the answer can you um, but a bit like that and they divide it up okay well a fifth of the church are apostles and a fifth are prophets and a fifth are evangelists and a fifth are pastors and a fifth are teachers and you can do because you, you, you can do a test and you can find out which one you are and we're all divided up, and so we're all, these, the gifts are spread out. And now, that, uh, the first one sounds like it matches Ephesians 4, 11 quite well. The second one sounds it might match Ephesians 4, 7 quite well, and it sounds quite exciting, the fact that we might all have the, you know, might all be these people given to the church. Uh, and then, that, then the scholars debate, and people debate, and uh, I think actually the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I think that God has given specific people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
Um, I think God has given specific people uh, who are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And around the world, there are people who you can mark out and say, that's who they are. They've got that gift. They've got to assert they are that gift to the church. But I also think that many more people are these gifts uh, and we just haven't recognized it yet. That many more people are given to local church, to this congregation, to, to the church as a whole, meeting one church meeting in two sites, that we've got these gifts in evidence. We've got people who are, who are using these gifts and who are these gifts to the church here amongst us. And I think it's more dispersed than we make out. So I'm going to take a position somewhere in the middle and say I think God has given people to the church, but we just haven't discovered some of who they are yet. And I want to give a bit of latitude to say, actually, the issue isn't so much about where you fit and who's, who is and who isn't. The issue is actually, what are these people meant to be doing? What are they meant to be doing? And I think it's important because I would much rather people prophesied than we wondered about whether someone was a recognized prophet or they were just prophesying. I'd rather not sit and well, are they? You know, Agabus in the Bible, he's a prophet. Philip had daughters who prophesied. Maybe they weren't prophets. Maybe they were just prophesying. Who cares? They were prophesying. And we were hearing the word of God. And the word of God was going out and it was encouraging people. And just maybe, as one of them prophesied and began to grow in that experience, others might go, actually, there's something different about you. You're a prophet. They go, oh yeah, so I am. But, but if we sit back and we wait and we wonder, am I really one of these? My concern is, and it's, it's a real concern, my concern is we hold ourselves back and go, well, I'm not that yet. I, I am obviously not. And I'll get to the problems that we may face in a, in a moment. Even Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with people. I think if we're waiting for fully formed apostles and fully formed prophets and fully formed evangelists and fully formed pastors or teachers to arrive, we won't get any. Even Jesus had to grow. I think it's time to call out who people are and what we're seeing in God. The key thing for these gifts is not who they are, but why they are, why they exist, and what God wants them to do. I think there are three problems we find when we come to looking at a passage like this. Uh, And Nat and I were discussing it a little bit in the car on the way in. Not these specific three things, but just this issue. Number one, we tend to elevate certain people to certain positions. We, we see a list like this and we elevate people and we reinforce this. It's part, it, I'm stood up here so I can see people and so you can see me. But the fact I'm stood on a stage and the fact that I'm stood at a distance from, from the front row means that there's a, a physical elevation that's happening. Now I can stand down here and I can stand, uh, we, can, we could sit amongst and we could share. It's a bit harder to see and I'd be having to do this all the time to make sure I've got eye contact. That's a practical illustration but... Actually, this physical elevation is repeated again and again as we elevate those who we we look to as having being a greater gift or having a greater gift. We end up professionalizing people. Uh, We end up making the work of ministry to be something that only specialists can do. That means also we then not only elevate some people, we also relegate ourselves. We relegate ourselves from being participants to being consumers from being vital ministers called by God, gifted people, to just being those who will at best do participate. At best we learn how to join in. 
but really we're not playing with the big boys. We're just joining in around the edge. And our contribution is small and little, and we've got to leave it to the really powerful people to do their thing, when actually all we can do is just watch and cheer and clap occasionally and maybe give and help out around the sidelines. And that can be a great danger when we look at a list like this. Thirdly, we abdicate. Elevate, relegate, and abdicate. I've got a fourth one, actually, that doesn't end with eight. Um, and I didn't put it in bold. Maybe that was the reason. We abdicate ministry to professionals. Here, the work of these folk is not just to be themselves and not to be good. This, this list of people here, this list we've been looking at, the point actually is over on the right-hand side. That's the reason those gifts are given to the church. It's not so that we can, they can have a title. They're given to equip God's people for works of service. That's why they're given. Uh, their point is not to be who they are uh, and to op- occupy some kind of position that we might aspire one day to become an apostle or one day I might become a pastor or one day I might become a teacher or one day I might become an evangelist or a prophet. That's not the point. The point is that these, these gifts are given, these people are given to the church to equip God's people, the whole of the body, to become mature and strong and healthy. That's the point. That's why these gifts are given. They're not given for themselves. And so as the apostle is planting and founding and and encouraging people, they can't do much more than that. But the role of ministry, the real work of ministry, happens when all of us are encouraged and equipped and mobilized to go and be the people of God that God's called us to be. These gifts are given to build the church, not to build themselves. And this is a vitally important point. Finally, we can forget that actually it's not even about these five gifts on the left. It's not even about equipping us for ministry. It's actually all about Jesus. This is what the Bible says. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's about Jesus again and again and again. It's about Jesus because actually, this is the most important verse, the verse beforehand. And I'd just seen this again as preparing for this message. He who descended, and we've shared communion today, You don't get much more descending than to come from the presence of the Father to being stuck on a cross. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to do what? To fill the whole universe. People talk about glorifying God. They want to glorify God. And I've I've pondered on that for a long time. And... uh, taught on it a little bit a while ago. But when we're talking about glorifying, we're, we're not talking about making God bigger. He, he can't be bigger. He can't be more powerful. He already is all those things. But we are talking about making God more known and more seen. And, and that, when we, that we're showing God because the glory of God is connected with the presence of God. And um, those two thoughts come together. And here, how is it possible that Jesus can fill the universe more full than he already is filling the universe. How is that possible? We teach that God's everywhere. How can he be more everywhere than he already is everywhere? 
doesn't make sense. Of course it makes sense because actually the, the whole universe isn't living under God's rule. It's not living under God's reign and not willingly choose to bow the, choosing to bow the knee before Jesus. Actually there's whole swathes of people who don't want to live as if God is in charge. But Jesus' point is this, that he is giving these gifts to build the church, to mature the church. All of us are ministers. He's, to all, the, all of us can minister and grow and serve him. Why? So that Jesus can fill the whole universe. So that the whole universe can come under his rule. So that the whole universe can come under his reign. So that every single person can know him. So that no one has to go to bed at night wondering if there's a God. So that no one has to, to wonder where hope is coming from, or where meaning is coming from. So no one has to wonder, is there a meaningful future for me? Actually, everyone can know him. No one has to be stuck in sin. No one has to be living, holding on to shame. Actually, it's all about Jesus. My prayer for us is that we would take the gifts seriously, the gifts that have been given. Uh, We need these in the church and in our lives. We need them so that we might be matured. I didn't get onto that. Um, But these gifts are given so that we can be matured and stand firm against false teaching. Uh, We need to see them in our lives and in the church. uh, My prayer is that we would recognize God's desire to continue to give people into the church who carry gift, who are a gift to the body of the church, and not to serve themselves. Uh, notice that the, the, the line goes from the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to serve the ones who are on this side, to equip God's people for works of service, and those people then serve the world. That's what we're doing, to make Christ known. The cycle doesn't go that these people uh, teach those people and those people then serve those people. uh, And that's it. It's not like a little closed loop. The point is that those ministry gifts equip others who do the work of ministry. Um, I'm passionate about this. I don't know if I've explained myself very well today. Um, But I'm passionate because I don't want us to worry about how gifted we are about the fact that you are gifted. And I don't want us to diminish gifting. I want us to recognize it. So I, for years, have struggled with the thought of my photo on a church website. Partly for, for also, maybe it's my own insecurity. I think it does connect a little bit to this sense as well, that actually we're all ministers. We're all in it together. And we have now got photos on the website because I've been persuaded that actually that's quite helpful on a practical level. Um, and, and I'm hopefully getting over some of that insecurity as well. Um, that's a different issue. Um, but I remember at a wedding, two weddings years ago, and I'll finish with this. Uh, I was working for Sainsbury's at the time of the first wedding. And I'd, I was, I'll tell you, because it makes me feel better, that I was doing the graduate management program. So I wasn't just filling shelves, but actually I was just filling shelves. But it's just a posh way of filling shelves. And I went to a wedding, and uh, someone, as you do at a reception, I was sat at the table, and... Um, inevitably you do the initial conversation don't you who are you what's your connection to these people what do you do I work for Sainsbury's adding of course I'm on the graduate program um, to elevate myself a little bit and then proceeded a conversation which went something like ah I bought a tin of beans once (sighs) you know you know your response when because 
I've had that. You had, I was only there for a little while, but every time you had the conversation, you're like, oh, okay, now what's coming next? <laughs> had a problem with my meat. There was a problem with this, problem with that. Like, oh, great, lovely. So that was the conversation there. Next wedding, just a little while later, I was an assistant pastor in a church and uh, sitting at a, a different wedding, different group of friends. Person, I was sitting to the, someone's left. They turned to me, had the little conversation. Oh, what do you do? I'm work for a church. I'm a pastor in church. Oh, turn immediately to the right. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> Killed. No, I had a tin of beans once. I did this, I did that. Just, just dead. No interest whatsoever. Um, and, and I don't think we had much further conversation <laughs> for the rest of the evening. It's either one of those I just sat and ate my dinner, or it's one of those I tried to make conversation with the rest of the table. Um, the point is this. For some reason, suddenly I'd become a professional. And actually, there's something incredibly wonderful about being an amateur. There's something incredibly wonderful about being a released minister of the gospel. And actually, the truth is that Apostle Paul is an apostle, but he's actually a tent maker day by day. That's how he earns his money. But he's an apostle because he's a gift of God to the church and he's a gifted person and you and I are gifted people. God's called us. You're not limited by your profession, whether you've got one or whether you haven't. It doesn't define you. Uh, it might be part of God's calling for you at this season. It might be part of God's provision for you. It might be where God's put you, but it's not the limits around you. God wants to use each and every one of us to extend his purpose, to fill the universe that he might be seen and that people might know him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you've given gifts to your church. And Lord, we've got to the end of looking at each of them. And we want to start activating them. We don't just want an academic run through a list. But Lord, we long that you might be seen. Lord, I long that people would be released in this place into their calling and into their gifting and into their ministry, their ministry of living for you. Lord, I thank you that every single person in this room who knows you has been given gifts by you. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir, help us identify those. Help us in these coming days to hear again from you, to take fresh courage and to be equipped to put our gift to use that we might see ourselves as the ministers of the gospel, that we might see ourselves as those making a difference in this world and that the church would be established and grown and strengthened so that you might be seen in Jesus' name. Amen.